All right, guys, let's go through uh, the 13 steps of a great bagpipe sound here. This is a review. This is something we need to think about on a regular basis. So go ahead. What are they? If, uh, uh, by the way, if you're not sure what the 13 steps of bagpipe sound are, a good first step would be, what are the three categories? Let's start with three categories in order um, of great bagpipe sound. What are the three categories? Good, maintenance is the first one, right? Maintenance is the foundation on which everything else is built. Then what? Tina says tone. Can we be more specific? Yeah, I like tonal quality better because it suggests that there are different degrees and that we are aspiring for the highest possible degree of tonal quality. Good, and the final category, tuning. I like that. Three categories of bagpipe sound. And uh, each one is built upon the previous, okay? So we can't have good tuning if we can't control our instrument and produce excellent tonal quality, all right? And we can't have excellent tonal quality if our bagpipe is leaking, okay, we're not gonna be able to control something that has a bunch of leaks in it. Just like you can't control the quality of the air inside of the space shuttle if the space shuttle has a bunch of holes in it. Okay? Three categories of bagpipe sound. Pretty basic, right? Everybody happy? So uh, let me move this. Can I move this? Moving this over so that we can now. Now inside of each category, we've got our, um, we've got the actual steps. So what are the four steps of bagpipe maintenance? We're not talking about condensation right now. Don't get me sidetracked, Chris. Don't get me, don't get me tempted. Although if we have time at the end, I definitely want to talk about it because I love talking about that stuff. Good. Is my bag airtight? All right. That's the most basic thing. Okay, uh, number two. Good. Joints airtight. Now, um, you, you are more than welcome to do the tuning slides as part of step two if you want. But I want to be really clear. It is not an essential question of bagpipe maintenance. All right. Keep this really simple, you know. Uh, as soon as you're like, well, you know, I, I want to wrap uh, one unwaxed string of hemp with my waxed string of hemp in order to get my joints, you know what I mean? Sure, you could do that. And obviously if we play in a band or if we have any interest in our drones staying in tune, we obviously, we need to hit those tuning pins. But the purpose of the maintenance questions is specifically to make sure that there's what? Make sure what is true about our instrument. Efficient, what does that mean? Boil it down to me in language this simpleton can understand. What's efficiency mean? No leaks. 
No leaks. I would wear my bagpipe to outer space. No leaks. Okay. Number three, reed seats. Okay. Uh, reed seats is one of those ones that tons of people screw it up. All right. Um, easy drones, they come with that little rubber sleeve around the reed, right? And, and you should be able to plug that rubber sleeve into your bagpipe. You don't even have to do anything and then your easy drones will work. Yes, it's true they will work. But are your reed seats 100% fail safe? No question about it. Airtight with those rubber sleeves. No. Especially if for any reason they get jarred loose. Something like that. You're just asking for trouble and you're asking for leaks. Okay? That's why we cut the rubber sleeves off and put hemp on them. So that we can get that really nice seal. And that no air is leaking through. Got me? And then the final question of bagpipe maintenance is drone reads calibrated. All right, now what should they be calibrated to? They should be calibrated to the strength of the chanter read. Okay. And for nerds, right, if you perfectly steady blower, your drone reads should be calibrated to what? To the sweet spot of your chanter read. But on the assumption most of us are not perfectly steady blowers, we calibrate our drone reads as close to the sweet spot as we possibly can while compensating for deviations in, in pressure. Right? If you're a nerd, we want to calibrate the drone reads to the sweet spot. But of course, reality sets in and we're going to have some, some fluctuations up and down. So we need to make sure if we accidentally fluctuate up, our drone reads don't shut off, right? But interestingly, the steadier you are as a blower, the more efficient your bagpipes can become. Okay, and that, that does it for the maintenance. What's beautiful about this wonderful uh, system that we have, I wouldn't say that we invented it, but we sort of discovered it, right? Uh, we discovered the best way of talking about it. What's beautiful about this is there really are only four things that you need to do to make sure your bagpipes are operating at a high level. Uh, for example, the day of the World Pipe Band Championships and all the days leading up to it. What do I do to make sure my bagpipe is ready to go win the World Championships? I just do the four questions each and every day. That's it. This is it. There's no more. You've got lots of little options inside of these four things that you can do if you want. You could play a synthetic bag. You could play a sheepskin bag. You could use Robertson's seasoning. You could use airtight seasoning. You could use a water trap. You could use Teflon tape. You could mix unwaxed hemp with waxed hemp if you want. I have no idea why people want to do that. Uh, what else could you do? You could do um, uh, tuning slides. 
you can use a Teflon tape on the tuning slide. So if you tune them in one direction, they go up. And if you tune them in the other direction, they go down because you've trained the grain of the Teflon. What else? I don't know. Whatever. Like there's all this stuff. Oh, you could use cobbler's wax at the base of your, uh, at the base layer of your hemping of the joints and then add in a different type on top. What kind of other weird ass things do people do? I don't know. Okay, but as long as one, two, three, four is yes, then we're good to go. Everybody understand that? I'm already sidetracked. Do not give in to the temptation to make it more complicated than that. Oops, I guess it's gonna change the color of all of it. Okay, now the next category is tonal quality. All right. And uh, there are three components to producing amazing tonal quality. What are the three components? Good. So Chris, first and foremost, steady blowing is obviously very important, but first and foremost is what? Is what Jen says, find the sweet spot. Otherwise known as identifying what pressure produces the best quality of timbre. Okay. So uh, steady blowing, very important, but it's actually a secondary priority. This is a big thing. This is something that most of the world has wrong. Steady blowing is not a top priority. It's a secondary priority. The top priority is identifying at what pressure our chanter read sounds the best. Let me give you an example. I'm going to blow my practice chanter perfectly steadily for you. Ready? Wow. Wow. Listen to that steadiness. Did you guys hear my steadiness there? Oh my God, I was so steady. Right? But, but guys, my teacher told me I have to blow steadily, so I just did. I was so steady. Oh my God, my manometer, the water in my manometer, it didn't even move. It stayed perfectly steady. I am a master of steadiness. I'm the best. I'm going to put out my shingle and start selling bagpipe lessons. Start fire up a quick YouTube channel. Going to give the dojo a run for its money. There you go. I'm going to get a unicycle. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to pimp this thing out a little bit. I'm going to put some fire on my drones. So uh, good. The actual point being, uh, blowing steadily is a secondary priority. The top priority is identifying where our reed sounds the best. And what reed are we talking about? Are we talking about drone reeds or the chanter reed? Good. We're talking about the chanter reed. Why? Because the drone reeds need to be set to the strength of our chanter reed. And it's not really the other way around. Drone reeds sound the best when they're perfectly calibrated, when they're taking the minimum amount of air, right? That, uh, that sort of, you know, 
it balances the volume, right? They're not too open, producing tons of volume. Uh, they're not too open, just producing that very like raw, buzzy kind of open sound. Uh, so we're really talking about the chanter read here. And every chanter read has its own sweet spot. As a matter of fact, at any given time, a chanter read sweet spot is different than any other given time because there's a variety of factors at play, right? Presumably. Amount of moisture in the system, age of the read, uh, ambient temperature, temperature inside the bag, whether or not you had garlic for lunch. Uh, so really the sweet spot is like, you know, it's something that you need to be able to feel and identify. Okay. So uh, regardless, step five, identify the sweet spot. What is the sweet spot? What is the definition of the sweet spot? No chokes, no squeals place. Tina, that's just so, you've been here so long, you need to be able to do better than that. Good. The maximum pressure without producing any unwanted sounds, okay? The idea being, the more energy we can put through that read, the better. Because it's going to allow for more and more vibration of that read. Okay, so uh, the more energy we can put through it, the better. Just like the more energy we can strike or bow a string on a stringed instrument, the more vibrant, um, maybe more volume, but the more vibrant that's going to be versus if you just barely scrape the string with the bow, it's not going to get a great tone. But the more energy we can put through it, the better. But then we know there's a limit to how much energy we can put through the reed. Okay. So we have to figure out just how far we can push the reed without anything bad happening. And that is the sweet spot. You can and should probably use a manometer to help teach you, you know, the basics. But at the end of the day, you don't need it. At the end of the day, what I'm generally trying to do is blow as hard as I can, flirting with the line where things start to sound unpredictable or a little bit gross or a little bit distorted. I'm always trying to ride that line to see how far I can go with the read. And then you develop a feel for it over time. It's not the pressure just before the read cuts off. A bagpipe chanter read is never going to cut off. Or if it does, it has to be at an extraordinarily high pressure. Okay. So it's going to be the pressure at which it starts to squeak or squawk or become distorted. Okay. All right. Now, once we've identified the sweet spot, then what's our next priority? Then we want to blow steadily at that sweet spot. Okay. And there are two dimensions to steady blowing. What are the two dimensions? The first one is a prerequisite to the second one. And we call this physical blowing mechanics. And we obviously want to be steady with our physical blowing mechanics. What does physical blowing mechanics mean? Physical blowing mechanics means we can blow, squeeze, and transition steadily. All right. 
we can blow, transition, squeeze, transition, blow, transition, squeeze, transition. We can do that with no significant deviation in pressure whatsoever, okay? That's a very difficult thing to do, but it's made a lot easier by all of the previous fundamentals being in line. All right, and then, then what do we do? What's the second dimension of steady blowing? Good, we want to eliminate mental blowing anomalies. Good, what's a mental, give me an example of a real world mental blowing anomaly. Give me something from our recordings that we hear each and every week at the dojo. What's a mental blowing anomaly we hear every single week? Good, a surge on a high A is a perfect example. Why do we surge on high A but no other notes? Good, Chris, excellent. Sally, good point. That's also a great example of a mental blowing anomaly. Why do we blow so hard on the high A but no other note? I'm not sure, but it's extremely common. All right, it's so common that people have invented random myths to justify why it happens. But one thing's for sure, Stuart Little doesn't have any of those. I don't have any of those. Callum Beaumont doesn't have any of those. Matt McIsaac doesn't have any of those. We think you have to get to that high pitch. No, that's probably not it. Um, I think what it is, is we have to let go with our left hand in order to play a high A. And because it's our squeezing arm, uh, it, causes like a, it causes like a reflex. So uh, it has to do with players who have to develop better posture and or loosen the grip on the left hand. That's my experience. That's my uh, hypothesis about why that happens. Sure. I mean, anything that causes your bagpipe to be too hard is going to contribute to these uh, steady blowing issues. Of course, Sally. Yeah. But it may or may not have anything to do with it. What a mental blowing anomaly is, though, is it's something that is in our heads, okay, that doesn't have to do with physical blowing mechanics, right? It has to do with something our fingers are doing that's causing a mental reaction negative to the blowing process. Bert, that's a nice theory. That's right. And you have to play that pressure for the entire scale, regardless of what you're playing. And just awareness of what you're trying to do is so important. So you can use a manometer. I highly recommend it. It's a great tool to help illustrate some of these things. All right. But you don't need it. Just like a metronome is a great, 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 great tool for uh, developing a good sense of timing and developing rhythmic accuracy, but you don't need it. Funny story about LV Piper simply going from low A to low G, one finger change. Mm, I'm not sure that's the law. I think that was in Atlanta. But yeah, there's a great manometer workshop on the site. 
Is it called the, is it still there? Is it called the manometer experience? It might still be on there. <sighs> okay. And then once we've achieved this amazing tonal quality, uh, then we go into the world of tuning. And it's not that you need to be a master of five, six, and seven in order to start the process of tuning your pipes and learning how to tune, okay? But you will never get yourself exceptionally well in tune without a mastery of five, six, and seven. Hmm, right? Which is ironic because most people, what they want to do is learn how to tune. And I really like that. As you know, we have a whole tuning clinic. We have that whole thing that we do. Uh, that's all great. Tuning is important, but it's not going to happen, right? A high degree of tuning mastery is not going to happen without one through seven really, really well in place. So we can learn the basic mechanics of tuning, but remember that tuning is a, a result of excellent prerequisites. That's what puts us in the position to be able to tune. Hey everybody, Andrew Douglas here from the Piper's Dojo, and I just wanna say thanks so much for listening to today's iteration of the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, it would be super helpful to us and to a lot of bagpipers out there trying to find us. If you could give us a top-notch review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, particularly Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, and things like that, your review would be really, really helpful. So if you have a moment today, definitely go over there and help us out. Other than that, until we meet again on the podcast or somewhere else, thanks again for listening.